The Magic Leap 2 was unveiled today, a sequel to a product that proved augmented reality is never going to fly as a standalone device. Good morning, good Friday morning to you. The weekend is so close, you can taste it. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for March 11th, 2022. The show is in our podcast feeds bright and early every weekday morning and free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show Game Face, and you should by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. Before I provide my take on Magic Leap 2 and augmented reality in general, I think it's only fair if we take a look at the capabilities of this brand new augmented reality headset. It has industry-leading optics for best-in-class image quality, a 65-degree field of view, which is important. That was one of the biggest complaints about the first Magic Leap. It provides pioneering dynamic dimming capabilities to help the headset work really well in bright environments. It is enterprise-ready, light as a pair of headphones, and ergonomically designed to support modern manufacturing, health, defense, and more. So yeah, this thing is about as advanced as AR headsets can be, at least with the current technology that's available. The biggest hang-up with AR glasses is that they make you look like an idiot. Google Glass, I think, was on the right track. It was it was subtle because it was only on one side of the face. It still looked weird. It still looked like you were trying to be like George Jetson and the technology just wasn't there yet. And then, of course, it, it was very simple, AR. It just kind of laid things over top of what you were looking at, which most people would say, okay, that's what AR is. But again, it was only in front of one eye, which limited what it was able to do. But I still think it was the right call with its more subtle and restrained approach. Magic Leap 2 goes in the other direction. They look like a cross between your great-grandpa's Coke bottle bottom glasses and something out of Mad Max. It has a simple handheld controller and a small module that's connected with a cable that rests in your other hand. It's really interesting, actually, to see someone have the whole get-up on. The headset, the controller in one hand, and then the module in the right hand. But it feels like it's decided law already that AR is something that we're just going to do through our phones. Something that's cool to see for a couple minutes, but not really an environment that we want to spend a lot of prolonged time in. It's fitting that magically has announced its new headset with overt messaging about enterprise use instead of entertainment. Microsoft learned this lesson with its HoloLens AR technology, but both really are just plagued with limited case usage. For its part, Magic Leap says it will license its technology for entertainment purposes, but the company has also burned through $3 billion in investment money so far, it laid off 1,000 employees in 2020, yet somehow it received another $500 million to develop and launch the second iteration of its Magic Leap technology. Where do these people come from that just keep throwing money into black holes like Magic Leap? So now that's $3.5 billion that this company will have burned through, and honestly, it's hard to see how it will ever do anything but continue 
to lose significant amounts of money. It's odd how we've already been trained to use AR on our phones. And how did we all learn that that was how we were going to use AR? Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go taught all of us that when it comes to augmented reality, that's where we're going to do it. It was gamified first on the phone, and it was too late. Look, the first Magic Leap, other than its lack of a field of view, is pretty amazing. The augmented reality, even in that first version of the headset, is leaps and bounds beyond what we get on our phones. There's no denying it. But there are certain technologies in life that human beings decide are just good enough in certain settings and using certain hardware. And for whatever reason, thanks to Pokemon Go and other games of its ilk, people have decided that AR works best on their phones. Something they can get into and get out of very quickly with very little commitment. It just works on something they already have. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sifts. What Ubisoft is calling the biggest expansion in the history of Assassin's Creed launched today. Assassin's Creed Valhalla Dawn of Ragnarok is now available for download. It is, in fact, according to critics, the biggest Assassin's Creed expansion ever. But the major complaint about it is that it's just more of the same that you were getting in the base game for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So if you're looking for more of that, you're getting a lot of it. The expansion costs about 40 bucks, and reportedly you're getting anywhere from 20 to 30 hours of content out of this expansion. So if you want to return to the world of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, here's your chance. We've been wondering what's up with Overwatch 2 ever since Blizzard was purchased by Microsoft and Xbox. And today we finally got an update. A closed alpha is launching this week under NDA, and then a closed PvP beta is launching for the public in late April. In related news, professional wrestler Samoa Joe was on Kinda Funny Daily today, and he became angry at the writer at GameSpot who wrote the story about the early access exclusivity. He became livid and called him all kinds of names simply because he was reporting the information that Blizzard had released. It's a bizarre thing. If you have some time and you see it in your sift, give it a watch. We got some bad news about the Dead Space remake today. Venture Beats Jeff Grubb is reporting that it has been delayed out of 2022 and into 2023. This is not a surprise. Matt and I talked about this game during our sifted video game fantasy league draft and how there's no way we were going to draft that game onto our teams because we had zero confidence that it was coming out in 2022. The initial rumors were that it was going to come out at Halloween or in October or around Halloween. That makes a lot of sense or it made a lot of sense. However, according to Grubb, that is not going to be the case. We should hear official word from Motive Studios today since there is a live developer stream and we'll have it curated to your sifts. In other Ubisoft news, the European publisher announced For Honor's Year 6 season today. It's called Lost Horizons, and the new season kicks off on March 17th. You may be surprised 
to hear that For Honor is still a thing because it is a really old game. It launched right around the launch of Sifted, in fact, and Ubisoft still isn't talking about a sequel. So my guess is if this game is continued this long, there still is no mention of a sequel whatsoever. It probably is never going to get a sequel. So if you kind of liked it at one point in your life, and you're thinking about, hey, maybe I should go back to that, or maybe I should try it now, I would suggest go for it, because if you're waiting for a sequel, I don't think one is ever going to show up. Nintendo announced today that Super Nintendo World is launching at Universal Studios Hollywood in 2023. A similar park has been open in Japan for quite a while now, though it has suffered a bit due to launching in the middle of a pandemic, understandable. However, it has not kept Nintendo from really finishing the park there, and tons and tons of footage has leaked out that show POV of people going through the different experiences and the different quote-unquote rides. If there's one thing that I would ask for to be changed in the Western version of Super Nintendo World, it's that there are, in fact, more rides and less quote-unquote experience-based attractions. A lot of the stuff at the Japanese amusement park are augmented reality gags or VR rides, things where you kind of sit still and you're just looking at a screen. It would be nice if they actually released some legitimate rides for the park here in Los Angeles. However, the park isn't really known for that. There is a set tour where you kind of, it's kind of a ride, but That park is not really known for roller coasters and things like that, so it's highly doubtful that will ever happen, and more likely, it'll be just like the Japanese park. According to YouTube channel Tronics Fix, the new DualSense controllers have improved components, including slightly different springs in the shoulder buttons and a different piece of plastic on the analog sticks that could eliminate analog stick drift. The battery model numbers are also different inside the controllers, and it almost seems random as to whether you get an updated version or not. For example, this same YouTube channel did a comparison with the Magenta controller and the launch PlayStation 5 DualSense just a couple months ago, and he saw no difference between the two. Now, he got a new Magenta controller that also came with the other two new colors, and that Magenta controller now has the updated components. So I would say get one of the other two colors other than Magenta if you're really concerned that you're getting the new components. Either way, it's good to see that even early in the PlayStation 5's life cycle, Sony is already striving to improve the DualSense. Windows games may be coming to Google Stadia if an upcoming talk at the Game Developers Conference is any indication. Currently, the service runs on Linux, but if Windows games could become compatible, it will open up an entirely new library to Stadia. It could be viewed as a last-ditch effort to keep the public version of the service alive, but more likely, it's really just to sweeten the pot on the technology's B2B prospects. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's Boss Fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. 
It was announced today by event organizers that Gamescom 2022 is happening on site August 24th to 28th in Cologne, Germany and online worldwide. The live show will include safety measures like improved admission management, digital queue management, extra wide aisles, or limited ticket allotments. Jeff Keighley's Gamescom opening night live will return to service the show's de facto press conference, and it will also have a live audience. It doesn't appear that Gamescom is going to limit overall attendance in any significant way. Here's the official statement from Gamescom. Quote, All Gamescom fans and partners have been waiting for this for two years. Gamescom is finally returning to the Cologne Exhibition Halls and thus also the unique festival feeling we had all been missing so much. End quote. This is coming from Association Managing Director Felix Falk. He continues, This year we are combining the best of both worlds, our extensive digital program with the incomparable Gamescom experience on site. In the process, Gamescom is also once again setting new standards in 2022. For example, in matters of sustainability, with our Gamescom Goes Green initiative, we will make Gamescom a special and climate-friendly event together with visitors and exhibitors. We thus want to not only be a lighthouse for the many initiatives for environmental protection and climate action in the international games industry, but also a pioneer for international events in general. Now, one thing you may have noticed there is that over half of the statement was dedicated to the green initiative that's going on at Gamescom this year. And while that's great, and I do love that part of Gamescom, and I'm very proud that one of the major industry conventions is taking a step forward like that, it does reek a little bit of a red herring, meaning, hey, let's talk about this instead of this other thing, where we're going to bring, I mean, Gamescom brings like 100,000 people plus into the convention center per day. And the rub here is that while much of the data surrounding COVID has been positive of late, with cases in a free fall as the Omicron variant runs out of hosts, in Germany, there was a precipitous fall, but cases have begun to spike again. In fact, yesterday's new cases in Germany matched the peak of the Omicron variant in early February. Meanwhile, in the US, cases have remained at rock bottom. We peaked on January 15th, it went straight down, and that's where it stayed ever since. So the question becomes, are we ready to return to big conventions? Ask yourself that as an attendee. Are you ready to return to a big indoor event that probably is going to be oversold, is probably going to be really crowded, there's probably going to be choke points where you're forced in with lots of people, it's probably going to be ventilated, but probably not ventilated enough. Are you willing to do that? I think most of that depends on where the events are. But it's such a big bet and a big gamble as an editorial leader or just a leader at any of the gaming publications. There's a lot of planning and money involved to travel and cover events like Gamescom. Literally, $100,000-$200,000 when it's all said and done is what you'll spend to go to Gamescom, or even in its glory days, Tokyo Game Show. We'd spend at Game Trailers $100,000 to cover Tokyo Game Show. In Gamescom, we would budget about $200,000, $250,000. That's a big bet. A big bet when you're talking about content budgets. And I'm sure IGN's budget at this point is 
half a million dollars for Gamescom. Now, a lot of that does get covered up with sponsorships. A lot of times we would head to one of these things and we were already in the black because we had a sponsor that was sponsoring our Gamescom coverage that usually was equal to or worth a little more than what we were spending to go there. And then what we made off of advertising and things like that was the gravy, the profit that we would make off of these events. But they're a big, big bet. So you got to remember, there's all the travel, there's the hotels, there's the local travel, there's the food for everyone who goes, there's paying everyone from door to door. It adds up really fast. And if there's one thing that I've learned over the last two years of being a part of this pandemic, it's that outbreaks can happen unexpectedly and quickly. If there's another thing I've learned during this pandemic, it's that you cannot expect the general public to be considerate of others. It's a fool's errand. With an infectious disease in a setting like Gamescom, all it takes is one person at a choke point in one of the halls. And next thing you know, you have an outbreak at Gamescom. It just kind of happened at the DICE event in Las Vegas, where a lot of the older folks in the industry go to spend a few days Honestly, drinking and patting each other on the back. That's really really what DICE is. It's a great time. I've been there many times. But it's not really work. People just go and get drunk and gamble. And then there's an awards thing at the end where they pat each other on the back. And that's that. Well, several people who went to that event came back from it with COVID. That was held in Las Vegas. And as I said, the numbers here are really low. So you've got to expect that some people are simply going to get COVID if you send them to cover Gamescom live. Is that something I'm willing to risk as someone's manager? It's not. It is not. So would I send my staff to cover Gamescom right now? War aside, because that's the other X factor. What's going on right now in Ukraine? And the answer is no, I probably wouldn't. The good news though is that just a couple months ago, it wouldn't have even been a consideration. But with the huge steps forward made with the vaccines and treatments, it's now at least a legitimate question worth considering. I know it will be nice for me to go out and hear some DJs this weekend, and I hope you're able to get out and about this weekend as well. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. While you're there, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're on the internet, head to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another episode on Monday morning. But until then, make sure you seize this weekend, because there will never be another. <laughs>